I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Everyone and welcome to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host Garrett Bahanna, and joining me this week, he is back in the co-host chair after uh, a little bit of a hiatus away. It is Hooks Orpic, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. What's up? Thanks for having me back. Excited to talk some hockey today. And uh, Jim, we have uh, quite a little bit of exciting hockey to talk about. The Penguins uh, are in the midst of a winning streak, and. Uh, Obviously, we we didn't record and we didn't put out an episode last week. So uh, since a, a little bit of a little bit of time has gone by, we will focus primarily on the two game set against the New York Rangers and the most recent game against the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, Jim, we'll keep this recap segment nice and short. Uh, we'll start off with the March seventh game against the New York Rangers, a game in which the Pittsburgh Penguins won by a score of five to one, and the Penguins scoring three goals in the first period in. I believe it was one minute and one second. Uh, Mika Zibanejad gets the scoring open here at the 118 mark of the first period. He gets his third goal of the season. The New York Rangers hop out to a one nothing lead. And right off the bat, Jim, you think, oh, I don't know. I don't like the, the look of this. Could this be uh, another up and down game for the Penguins against the Rangers? But uh, that would not be the case as the Penguins, who were led by John Marino, Kasperi Kapanen and Sidney Crosby, like I mentioned, would score three goals in consecutive fashion to give the Penguins a 3-1 to one lead to close out the first period. They would add goals by Evgeny Malkin at 13.57 in the third and Zach Aston Reese at 16.37 in the third period to close out that game and give Pittsburgh a commanding 5-1 to one victory. Uh, Jim, looking back at this game against the Rangers, that three-goal outburst really was enough to seal the deal and shut the door on the Rangers. Do you have any other additional thoughts you'd like to give from what you saw uh, against the Penguins and the Rangers on March 7th? That it was. Uh, we've seen that a couple times this month where the Penguins score three goals in a, in a flash, in a hurry, just like that. Boom, boom, boom. So I, that's a positive thing to see them build off of what they're doing. It's, it's a 
coaching cliche, but it's kind of true that the shift following a goal is a very important shift for both teams to kind of reset and the other team's going to try to push back on you and just like steady themselves. But that's also an opportunity when you score a goal to pile on, continue to build the momentum, all that stuff. And the Penguins were good at doing that. We saw that against the Flyers a couple weeks ago, and then they blew a lead and they didn't blow this lead. They just built on it even further, which I think was telling and important and Maybe because the Rangers weren't so great without Panarin and their starting goalie. But hey, you, you got to play what you get. And I think the Penguins showed at least last Sunday's game against the Rangers. They scored their goals. They didn't coast as much. And they scored a few more to get a kind of easy win after going down one nothing at least. And we'll see a constant theme throughout these uh, couple of games that we recap here, and we will touch on it in a segment of its own, the partnership, the 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 tandem, and the growing chemistry of Kasperi Kapanen and Evgeny Malkin. And we will certainly touch on that as the show moves along. And we will move along to the March 9th game, the Penguins meeting the Rangers once again. Uh, Jack Johnson, of all people, getting the goal, the go-ahead goal, the first goal of the first period at 9:16 to give the Rangers a one-nothing lead. Jim, uh, we've talked about Jack Johnson quite a lot on this podcast, and he has been uh, he, he has been the target of many a, a Penguin fans' ire over the last couple of years. He gets on the score sheet to give the Penguins a one-nothing lead. Uh, however, Jake Gensel, towards the end of the first period, would get the Penguins tied up at the 18:54 mark to uh, level the game at 1-1. Into the second period now, uh, Teddy Bluger at 2.40 of the second period gets a shorthanded goal, gives the Penguins a 2-1 lead. Kasperi Kapanen with 20 seconds left in the second period, the 19.40 mark, he gives the Penguins a two-goal lead. He gets his seventh of the season. The Penguins go up 3-1. Heading into the third period, Ryan Strom notches a power play goal early on in the third. The Penguins are still leading by a score of 3-2. And at the 1927 mark, with about 30 seconds left to go, Sidney Crosby gets his ninth goal of the year, an empty netter. The Penguins go on to secure the victory by a score of 4-2. to two. Uh, Another relatively, I guess you could call it relatively easy win. Um, all things considered, uh, the Penguins did what they had to do, getting the two points from the, the lowly New York Rangers. Jim, uh, any additional thoughts on, on the March 9th game against the Rangers? Like you said, it's a big story of this past couple, this last week and the past couple weeks has been the Kapanen and Malkin connection. And you really can't talk enough about that. I know we're, we're going to talk more about them, but those names keep popping up when you're going through this recap. It's Malkin and Kapanen usually combine to do something good. Crosby and Gensel are usually combining to do something good. And that's that's been a strength of the Penguins to have their star players and Really, in these past 5, 10, maybe even last 15 games or so, those players have been playing really great, and that's been helping out, especially against teams that are playing this week, like the Rangers and the Sabres, who don't have players that caliber. So that's been the difference, and really that's been how the Penguins have been winning a ton of games for the past 15 years, is Crosby and Malkin are doing big things, and the team's along for the ride, and I think we've seen that this week and in that second Rangers game you were talking about. And moving on to the most recent game, March 11th, against the lowly Buffalo Sabres. The Sabres came into this contest at, I believe, 6-14-4, whereas the Penguins came into the contest at 15-9-1. Uh, uh, the Sabres have uh, 
constantly been uh, targeted on, on social media and in, in hockey circles when analyzing their team. They have certainly not performed to expectation. Uh, their stars, Taylor Hall, Jack Eichel, uh, Jeff Skinner, have not been performing to standards that we have seen from them in the past. Uh, but looking at this game, uh, Evgeny Malkin gets the game and gets the scoring going at 621 of the first period. And uh, Jim, if you want to take a little bit of time or we could save it for the, the segment that we're going to devote to Kapanen and Malkin uh, separately. But just if you want to talk a little bit about uh, what a great sequence, Kasperi Kapanen sets up Evgeny Malkin with a nice drop pass to basic, and he basically leaves the Buffalo goaltender hanging out to dry. Malkin buries it. The Penguins go up one to nothing. Tage Thompson gets uh, his first goal of the season to tie the game for Buffalo at 6.54 of the first period. Uh, heading into the second period now, after the game is still tied, Brandon Tanev gets on the score sheet, gets his sixth goal of the season, a nice backhander at uh, 320, the 324 mark of the second period. The Penguins take a 2-1 to one lead. Uh, later on, Victor Olofsson gets his eighth goal of the season for the Buffalo Sabres at, 840, at the 846 mark of the second period. Uh, Buffalo again ties the game 2-2. Two to two. Jake Gensel at the midway point of the second period gives the Penguins a, a, another lead, a power play goal for Gensel. Uh, Pittsburgh leads 3-2 to two now, heading into the third period. Anthony Angela, they brought up his name a lot during the broadcast. I believe he grew up a Sabres fan. He grew up in in uh, I, I, a certain part of New York they kept referring to. I don't know if it was Buffalo specifically, but they kept mentioning a Anthony Angelo a lot. He gets his first goal of the season. Uh, the Penguins uh, take a 4-2 to lead there, and then at the 18-45 mark, right at the end of the third period and at the end of the game, Brian Rust tallies his ninth goal of the season. Uh, after a little bit of a shaky start where Buffalo uh, looked like they were going to maybe put up a fight and answer back, Pitt Pittsburgh ends up winning this game by a score of 5-2. to two. Uh, Rather convincing, at least looking at the scoreline here, Jim. The Penguins, uh, we talked about it, and you certainly talked about it as well leading up to this game. And leading up to the next several games, the Penguins will play uh, seven more games against the Buffalo Sabres. This is exactly what they have to do. Score against these lowly teams and take the two points in rather demanding fashion, I'd have to say. Definitely. That's what you would expect. It's a team playing a team that's clearly lesser than them. Jack Eichel's out for Buffalo, which is a huge blow. They need more players like him, not less. And, um, yeah, that's, that's what you want to see is uh, the Penguins team coming out, scoring a lot of goals. I think Buffalo... They scored four against Philadelphia earlier in the week, but pretty much for a long, long time, they scored zero, one, or two goals in a lot of their games in the past couple weeks. And Thursday night would be another example of that. They scored two goals, and really they were kind of lucky to get those on broken plays, and they just don't really have the firepower right now to hang with, with the competition. And look, there's some good teams in, in the East, whether it's Boston, Washington, Pittsburgh. So that's tough for Buffalo, and it's probably going to be a long year for them as they try to figure it out and move forward. And, Jim, we're going to move forward now and, and talk about uh, the tandem that I had mentioned earlier on in the show, and that being the combination of Kasperi Kapanen and Evgeny Malkin. You could make an argument, and I believe I, I heard either Bob Airy or Steve Mears mentioned on the Pittsburgh telecast uh, during the game against the Sabres that uh, the, the Malkin-Kapanen combination 
certainly you could argue uh, is the hottest tandem in the league at the moment. Uh, looking at the last five games for Kasperi Kapanen, registered an assist March 4th against the Flyers, uh, registered a goal and two assists March 7th against the Rangers, potted another goal March 9th against the Rangers, and added an, an assist on the Malkin goal against the Sabres on uh, March 11th. And you look at Evgeny Malkin here, uh, it's safe to say, Jim, that I think Evgeny Malkin has turned a corner after his notoriously bad start at the beginning of the season, registered an assist March 4th against Philadelphia, registered a goal and an assist March 6th against Philadelphia, another two-point game, a goal and an assist against the Rangers on March 7th, an assist against the Rangers on March 9th, and another two-point outing against the Sabres with another goal and another assist. Uh, Jim, I think the question that I want to pose to you uh, is one that I, I think has been floated around quite frequently after looking at the success that Kapanen and Malkin have had together. Jim Rutherford acquired Kasperi Kapanen with the thought process of having him play alongside Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel, but as fate would have it, Kapanen finds himself meshing incredibly well with Evgeny Malkin, and uh, this is not a new story for Malkin's line mates going throughout at least recent Penguins history. Uh, when you have to go back to the likes of James Neal, Patrick Hornquist, Phil Kessel, and now Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, Jim, when you look at and when you analyze Evgeny Malkin's game, Kasperi Kapanen's game, and to a lesser extent Sidney Crosby's game, why do, why is it do you think that uh, Kapanen, Neil, Kessel, Hornquist, all of these players seem to mesh so well with Malkin, whereas they don't find prolonged success with a generational, another generational player like Sidney Crosby. That's a really good question. And I think the answer to that is just playing styles and specifically with Sidney Crosby. He's such a unique player because a lot of the guys you name played really well with Malkin, whether it was James Neal, Phil Kessel, Patrick Hornquist. Kapanen and a lot of those players were tried with Crosby and it didn't match as well but and then if you think about the players that do play well with Crosby it's guys like Chris Kunitz, Pascal Dupuis, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust. A lot of these players are very high hockey IQ players. A lot of them are good in the corners. They're more grinder types. They're less skill I would say the the names that you list for Malkin, especially James Neal, Phil Kessel, probably have a lot more skill than the the guys who have found success with Crosby. Yet that's I think just the the style of game works. And then like a Patrick Hornquist, for instance, kind of fell out of favor with Crosby due due to his skating and not keeping up maybe as much or being able to play as fast as Sid wants to play. So that's another thing is that you have to be a really good skater on top of everything else to play with Crosby. And I know Rutherford's stated intention was he wanted Kapanen to play with Crosby, but really I think you're just looking for Kapanen to play in the top six. If you're the Penguins and you trade a first-round pick for Kapanen, you're not going to say, oh, we'll find a place for him. I think I think if you're Rutherford, it, it his he needed to say, oh, yeah, this is Sid's new winger. We're going to try him with Sid. And you, you definitely want to do that at first, I guess, because Crosby is probably the best, most consistent offensive player on the team. So when you get a new winger, you're going to try him with Crosby, and you're going to see if that works to play with him just like Gensel has been, and that's gone so well. But it didn't it didn't really, like, I thought Crosby and Kapanen were okay. Not really to ditch on Kapanen, but he's not really considered that much of a high hockey IQ player. 
he's more skill. He's more space line space or excuse me, straight line speed. He just wants to get get it and go. And we saw that in the breakaway goal against Buffalo. He just took off, and he's getting a breakaway every game. He's kind of probably even cheating a little defensively to favor his offensive zone, but you see it's it's paying off because Captain's getting all these breakaway chances, and he's very good at finishing them too, or at least he has been recently. So you certainly like that if you're the Penguins for that. But at the same time, that kind of makes him a more north-south player. That kind of makes him a more Malkin fit. And I saw that coming a little bit. I, I think I remember speaking about it on the podcast that I – I thought when it was all said and done that if Malkin and Kapanen played together, they might find more of a style, a kind of European puck possession. And we've seen that a lot with them passing the puck between each other and using their line mates as well. But just the domination that they have to hang on to the puck in the offensive zone for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and finally finish it off with a goal. And you were right that there's nobody quite as hot as those two. They each have 11 points in the last 10 games for the Penguins. Kapanen now actually leads the team in even strength points on the season with 17. And he started late. He only has 23 games. So 17 even strength points in 23 games is a really good return on the investment, at least right now, of giving up the first round pick to get him. And every game he's playing with Malkin, they're doing something together that just kind of blows your mind with their passes or that drop pass against Buffalo for Malkin just to have an easy goal. Like when have you ever seen that? Like that was an awesome play an excellent play. And it feels like the more Kappen and, and Malkin play together, just the more in, in the groove they're getting and the better they're playing with each other. The more, uh, the more chemistry that they form, the, the more the Penguins become the beneficiary of this new tandem. And it, it's, certainly, it's certainly going to be something that we're going to have to, going to, have to watch as the season progresses. Uh, this could be part of a line, especially with Jason Zucker out uh, due to injury, this could be uh, a tandem that really helps put the Penguins over the edge and overcome the slow start that they went on. Uh, li like you mentioned, the, the point totals in the last 10 games for those two players have been incredible. Uh, it's great to see individually. It's great to see Evgeny Malkin finally turn that corner. It looks like he's skating with a purpose, with a passion. Now he finally has his legs under him. Uh, now, whether that was due to him just not being in shape or, or having a very funky offseason, as I'm sure a lot of the players did heading into this really abnormal season, whatever the case may be, the Penguins are going to benefit from this, this, this duo who is who are as hot as anybody in the rest of the NHL. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, Jim, we have a jam-packed mailbag segment to get to, so we're going to dive straight into it. Uh, for those who are interested, maybe first-time listener or a long-time listener, who uh, is interested in participating in the mailbag segment, you can do so by uh, following our Pennsburg podcast Twitter account at Pennsburg pod on Twitter. Every week we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in the mailbag segment. And we, we love, we certainly love getting 
all of this interaction from all of our awesome listeners who come back week after week asking us questions for this mailbag segment. Jim, I'm glad you're here for this episode of the podcast, especially for question number one. And I've thought about this myself for quite a while, being with Pennsburg for a couple of years now. And I don't know if you can lend any insight to this, but this question, question number one, comes from Commander Kern. And he wants to know, is there any Pennsburg merchandise that we can get our hands on? Uh, what are some of the best, other best ways to support the podcast? And, uh, well, Jim, let me just start off by saying you can do your, do your part in supporting the podcast by downloading it and listening to it. If you want to give us a five-star rating on, on your streaming platform of choice. Uh, but Jim, you've been with Pennsburg for a long, long, long time now. Has there ever been a, a thought like this ever developing like t-shirts or anything with the Pennsburg merchandise or the Pennsburg logo on it? Yeah, there has. We've done some stuff with a company called Breaking Tea before. And it's funny this question came up because they just emailed me about a concept design for a new shirt. So yeah, we probably in the coming weeks, I guess, and this will be breaking news, we will have, I think, a, a new shirt coming out if people want to get that. That would be cool. Uh, as far as best ways to support the podcast, you're doing a great one now by asking questions, following us, all that good stuff. That that all helps. That all, like, just coming to the blog, clicking it, reading it is good. If you retweet it, stuff to your followers, that's really nice. If if you're on Facebook, we're on Facebook as well. We post most of stuff there. If you click that share button, that really helps. And even just old-fashioned, like, word of mouth, if you, if you see, like, an article you like or this podcast you like, send it to a buddy. Email it to a friend. Email it to a family member. Send it via text to your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your brother, your cousin, whoever that might have interest and just say, Hey, check this out. I liked it. Maybe you like it too. So just stuff like that is really good and really helpful when it comes with a great referral. So just any stuff like that is, is really helpful, especially just sharing stuff on social media because it's all about social interaction these days and that stuff. So that would be my advice as, aside from just saying thank you for even asking and thinking about how to go out of your way to help us because that's really nice and cool, and I appreciate that, and I'm sure Garrett does too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I echo everything that Jim said. Thank you for, for listening to the podcast for as long as you have been and, and all of the different ways, like Jim said, that you can support us. A anything that you can do, uh, sharing it on social media, like Jim said, coming to the blog, it's all greatly appreciated one way or the other. Uh, question number two, Jim, the Battle on the Boards podcast is back, and they have a pretty funny question for us. Uh, I don't know if you're an Office fan, Jim, but uh, if the Office cast were uh, put into a hockey team, what would their roles be? Um, I watched a good bit of The Office a couple of years ago. I think I made it through like season six. And uh, for whatever reason, I just fell off. So I'm pretty familiar with the most of the cast and most of the characters. Uh, if I go blank here, Jim, feel free to hop in if you have any insight. Yeah, we're going to have to do this together, I think. I, I saw this come in. I was looking at it, too. And I guess we can we can try, so... What do you got? Uh, let's see. I feel like I feel like Jim Halpert would have to like he strikes me as not like not like a I don't want to say Alex Ovechkin. Halpert strikes me as like the the smooth skating, like always in the right position. You know, you know, he he's always going to be there. He's always going to be dependable. He's going to chip in offensively. 
Uh, let me see here. Yeah, he would have to be like the star of the team, I think, yes. because he's like the the normal guy. Yeah, I would say I when I was thinking about this, I thought Michael Scott would be the head coach just because that's like a natural parallel since he's the manager of the office. That's kind of like the the coach of the team. I don't know if you would agree with that one. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, I thought that was kind of a, a natural pretty, one. I don't know but if like, I'd con- I don't know if I'd consider Dwight Trout like he he's crazy enough to be the enforcer or like the goon on the ice. Uh but he's also like diabolical diabolical enough to like be and be premeditated enough to plan out what he wants to do on the ice. So I don't know if he's I don't know if he's crazy enough to be a goon. I don't, but I don't know if he has like enough skill to be, uh, like like a a regular go to skill player. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, I would say like the the warehouse guys like Daryl and all yeah. them. They're like the hard workers and the people who actually do stuff around that office. So I feel like they would be the guys that you wouldn't have their jersey, but they would be like the key play, the actual key players of the team, like your Brian Dumoulins or your Brian Rust or, or guys like that would be like the warehouse guys, kind of like the glue guys of the team that are, that are doing a lot of work, like the John Marinos and stuff like that. Andy Bernard. Uh, he, I mean, in the show, he comes off to me at least as like the really weird, but also he's like a tryhard and tries to impress everybody. Uh, I don't know if that correlates or translates into hockey. Uh, I mean, there are so many people in this cast over the years that it's, I mean, we could devote a whole episode to this question, but uh, I I mean, I I hope, I hope that the the answers that we gave you sufficed for. That would have to be enough. Yeah. I would say Andy Bernard, look, he's from Cornell, big school. He has a high impression of himself. He's not very good at what he does. So I think he would be the defenseman with like the big contract that just has horrible numbers. Like (laughs) he's the Tyler Myers. He's the Jack Johnson. He's the guy that like everyone complains about and just thinks it's a joke, but due to his stature, he gets to stick around. So that that was the last one I had, but yeah, we should probably move on for the people who probably don't care about the office. All right. All right. Uh, Oh, go ahead, Jim. Oh, I was going to get going with the next battle of words question. I'll read for you. He says the Penguins have had the toughest schedule so far. Boston two out of eight, Philly four out of eight, Capitals six out of eight, Islanders six out of eight, Rangers four out of eight, which really is six out of eight now since he's asked. Um, and that leaves 20 of the remaining 34 games against Buffalo, New Jersey, New York Rangers. How do you expect the Penguins to finish the season given that the schedule gets easier? The, the Penguins certainly survived the hardest parts of their schedule uh, early on. And now they they may be, uh, I'll use the term again, they, they may be beneficiaries of an easier schedule uh, towards the end of the season. Uh, they have three games against the Devils coming up March 18th, March 20th, March 21st. Uh, they have another two-game set against the Sabres. They play the Sabres uh, seven more times or yeah, is that right? Six yeah, or seven, yeah, more, seven t- more times? Yeah, seven more times. Have they? I don't think they've played the Devils once at all this season. Not once, but that's so coming up. They'll play the Devils eight more times. I, I hate to draw conclusions because of how, uh, you know, wildly inconsistent the Penguins have been, especially this season. But 
the run that they've been on now, 5-1 against the Rangers, 4-2 against the Rangers, 5-2 against the Sabres, if they keep doing this, if they keep, like we had mentioned earlier, if they keep getting contributions from Kapanen and Malkin on a regular basis, uh, you know, Crosby and Gensel keep doing their thing. The defense is finally coming back and getting healthy. I, I see people uh, on social media who were at one point ready to abandon Brian Dumoulin just because of, uh, you know, how how badly his form had been everyone saying that he hadn't looked like the same defenseman since his uh injury i believe a little over a year ago now people are saying he is the glue that holds the blue line together which i believe and if they keep getting you know solid goaltending from tristan jari who looks to have turned a corner himself i mean there, there's no saying how far this team can go look do they have flaws absolutely do i still have concerns about the 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 depth in their bottom six absolutely i think that's going to have to be addressed by the trade deadline and if i'm not mistaken there might be a question or two in this mailbag that talks about that very issue but the fact that they've gotten through what everyone considers to be the most difficult part of their schedule and you don't want to say that these games against the sabers and devils are going to be cakewalks because in the nhl you know that just might not be the case. You might get fleeced one night by the Sabres. They may end up winning a game three to one or four to one, but on paper, the way things are currently constructed, as long as the Penguins are relatively healthy, they should have a relatively easy time dealing with the likes of the Devils, the Devils and the Sabres moving forward, which should help them keep them afloat in that East division. Well put. Question number three comes from Noah. I'm going to say Nur. I think we, 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 Noah, we've had questions from you before, and I don't know if the K is silent. So if it is not, I apologize. But Noah Nur is back, and he asks First of all, how's life? Second of all, do you believe the Penguins will go into the deadline as buyers, potentially moving some draft picks, or as sellers, trading someone like Marcus Pedersen? or a few depth guys for picks or younger depth players slash prospects. Jim, uh, we've get, we get trade questions like this all the time on the mailbag. We are inching closer to the trade deadline. Uh, what do you think the Penguins' current outlook is on how they will manage the trade deadline? Well, the Penguins are a win-now team. They're not going to be selling anything. They don't even have a first-round pick this year, so there's nothing to sell for. They've They've won seven out of the last ten now. They've really been pretty good to kind of what you were saying in your last answer, Garrett. If if you look like they struggled at the beginning of the season when they had three, four defensemen all hurt at the same time and they were getting poor goaltending. Now that the defense is back, the goaltending's back. Funny how that works. And they've been winning a lot in the past 10, 15 games. So the Penguins are definitely going to be buyers. Um but now there's no Jim Rutherford. Like if, if Jim Rutherford was still here, I would be really confident that they're going to make some crazy aggressive tr trades and try to do whatever it took to fill holes. But Ron Hextall is not that kind of manager. He's shown to be very patient, very, I guess, calculated in his moves. And he favors having draft picks and like building from within and growing. So this is going to be interesting to see what he does if he kind of goes against his tendencies and gets a little more aggressive. But, I mean, for me, I think if you if you look at what the Penguins have too much of now, they claim Mark Friedman on waivers. So they have too many defensemen, really, if they all stay healthy. And they need more forwards because, like, Mark Jankowski hasn't been cutting it. Sam Lafferty hasn't been cutting it. Guys like that, that's where they had needs. So 
I kind of see like minor deals. Like, can you move a Yusa Ricola to get a fourth line center? Can you trade maybe a Chad Ruedel to get a fourth line winger? Just just something minor where you're kind of sending out a lower end player and getting back a lower end player. But if if the right deal comes along and maybe you can move Pedersen for a really good center, or if you could move you know somebody else to get a good player, I, yeah, I think the Penguins would consider it, especially when as long as they keep winning games and playing well as they have been these past couple weeks, that's just going to encourage the manager obviously to go for it. So that's what should happen there. Our next question comes to us from Brian, who says, "Who does Jerry's puck moving and playing ability remind you of most?" Do you ever think he can develop his game to that of Marty Berdour, who I would consider the greatest puck handling goalie of all time? Uh, definitely, Brian. I agree. Jari's puck moving ability and playmaking ability is, is certainly uh, certainly a, a solid trait that I don't think Matt Murray uh, really ever showcased a lot. Um, although in, in recent games, I, I think his puck handling ability has been a bit more shaky. Uh, there have been a couple of instances where uh, whether he's gone to pass and it's gotten turned over and right back into his zone where he's had to make uh, a pretty quick save. So a, a couple of instances where Jerry uh, gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar. But but to your point, Jari's puck handling is uh, a star trait of his repertoire. Uh, who is he most like puck handling wise? Uh, I've heard I've heard Bob Airy compare him to Tom Barrasso. Uh, a couple of times based on his puck handling ability. Uh, I know Ron Hextall was uh, another very good puck handler, and obviously you mentioned Martin Brodeur being the the greatest puck handling goaltender of all time, and I agree with that. Um, it, will he ever reach Brodeur's level? Uh, I doubt it. Uh, you know, I don't think... I think Brodeur, Jim, and you can chime in here too. I mean, you were you were here and alive to watch the likes of uh, Brodeur and Barrasso and and uh, a couple of other puck moving goaltenders. But I think Brodeur's skill in moving the puck is is second to none. Hence, why you describe him in that way that you do in the question. So, will Jari ever reach the the top and become a premier that kind of premier puck handling goaltender? Uh, I doubt it, but at the same time, you know, I'm not watching Tristan Jari to be some smooth puck handler behind the net and trying to get these passes out to his defenseman to try and uh, generate things up the ice. So, uh, Jim, if you have any thoughts on this puck handling question, I thought that was pretty neat uh, because I know that uh, you're obviously an older Penguin fan than I am, and you certainly have more experience watching the likes of Brodeur, Hextall, and Barrasso. Yeah, true, even though... I don't think I like you calling me old, but um, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Like, I think it's weird. I mean, it's it's a good question, but it kind of sounds weird to compare anything to Martin Brodeur, who is one of the best goalies that has ever played hockey. And I know we're just talking about a very specific skill set that is only a small part of goaltending, but it's just kind of odd to me in a way. But yeah, I mean. Jerry's good. He's good at that. He can go back behind the net. He can stop it. We've seen he's had a few hiccups there, but all in all, like I think that that's a plus part of his game. He can help start breakouts. He can help the defense and stop them from getting hit all the time against the wall if the goalie can go out there. So, I mean, I don't, 
I mean, I guess you could compare him to Barrasso in that regard. I know he has been a little bit. The Hextall comparison to me, actually, from what I remember and my memory of the early 90s is not that great. But just from, like, seeing highlights and YouTubes and stuff, like, I think it's kind of – it's fair to put him in the same kind of class of player that Hextall was. So, yeah, it's good company to be in no matter what I would I would say and leave it at that. All right, question number five, Cole Del Vecchio, always here for the mailbag segment. He wants to know, uh, is anyone else getting a little tired of seeing the same teams over and over again? I understand the reasoning and will continue to watch the games, but does it feel like Groundhog Day sometimes, Jim? Yes, yes, <laughs> easy answer, yeah. I mean, this this season, as crazy as it is, there's only eight teams in the division. The Penguins can't play themselves, so they only play seven different teams. And to date, we have seen Buffalo once as we're recording this podcast, about to be twice. We've seen New Jersey zero times, but they're on the schedule next week and some COVID stuff. So, yeah, the Penguins have played for two months now against the same five teams. And let's be honest, uh, there's probably like two or three teams, like the Rangers, the Islanders, the Capitals, that they played more than everybody else combined. So, yeah, it's especially when it's like games against the Islanders, like those are boring. Those suck. I, nobody likes watching the Islanders. So, yeah, that gets old. But I mean, I haven't minded. I, I've kind of liked and I don't know about you, Garrett, but I kind of like that they play the same team twice in a row kind of like a baseball type of schedule where, you know, I I think that that's cool and that's beneficial. It cuts down on the travel. And just as a viewer, I don't mind it. You can get to know the teams a little better when you see them like on a Tuesday or on a Thursday or Thursday and a Saturday, like back to back like that. Like I like that aspect of it, but yeah, just, it does get a little monotonous. I think when you're playing the Capitals or the Islanders for seemingly the 10th time in a row, what do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, you were quick right off the draw to say yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's an easy this one. <laughs> is, I mean, yeah, I I really do miss. I mean, person personally, I love West Coast road trips. I love late night hockey. I love you know staying up till twelve thirty one o'clock and you know watching the Pens take on the 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 the, uh, the likes of the Flames or the Kings or the Canucks and soon to be the Kraken. Uh, but yeah, it's. The two game sets, like you said, they they certainly have their advantages, but yeah, this is for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, it, it has to be this way, but I cannot wait for the 2021, 2022 season when we hopefully will get back to some sense of normalcy. No doubt about it. And our buddy, Tony McCune and chimes in and says how to improve the other bottom six line. Would you rather add another star to share the wealth as with Kessel naturally with a higher asking or try to add a rental slash middle six forward or two. We're definitely missing one line here. Yeah, I think when you look at the bottom six, I think Sullivan isn't really going to tinker with too much the the buzzsaw line of, of Bluger, Aston Reese, and Brandon Tanev. And uh, if I had things my way, I think it would be an incredibly beneficial and incredibly stable fourth line. But then again, you look at the third line and you know who's going to center that third line? Is it going to be... If if that if the fourth line consists of that buzzsaw of Tanev, uh, Bluger, and Aston Reese, is Mark Jankowski going to be the centerman on the third line? You know, Jim, you mentioned it earlier. That experiment hasn't worked out. It seems like the the, the Penguins' bottom six largely consists of a bunch of ham and eggers. You, you know, guys who were on the fringe, who probably 
under regular circumstances, probably would it be minor leaguers or, you know, fringe guys hanging on at the end of the roster, your, your 12th or 13th or 14th forward. But Jim, I'm going to bring up uh, something that you just happened to write in Pennsburg earlier today, uh, talking about Eric Stahl possibly being the missing link for the Penguins. And I've seen Eric Stahl's name thrown around quite a bit. And for good reason, the Buffalo Sabres are going nowhere. And he seems like one of those depth pieces that could be moved to a contender. And, you, you know, on the surface, it looks like a perfect match. Having a veteran like Stahl come in and potentially anchor that third line seems like a win-win. You know, there are obvious obstacles. I believe he has a $3.6 million uh, salary cap. You know, what would the Penguins have to give up? What are the Sabres asking prices for a guy like Eric Stahl? But I, I don't know too many people right now who are on the trade block. Uh, I think we're still a about a month out from the trade deadline itself. So, uh, you know, a couple of weeks from now, if we're recording a podcast and and we have a much clearer picture of who is probably going to be traded. But Jim, it, it was perfect timing for you to put out a piece uh, regarding Eric Stahl and his potential availability for uh, the Penguins as they look to improve their bottom six. What do you think about Eric Stahl? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. He's kind of getting older in a sense. I believe he's 36 years old and he's playing terrible in Buffalo right now, but everybody in Buffalo is terrible. I do think like, if that that to me would seem like a Jim Rutherford move all day long, like he'd be all over that because he they had the Carolina connection and all that stuff. So if Rutherford was here, I would be thinking, all right, there there's going to be some heavy heavy interest. But like you said, there's not a lot of people known to be on the trade block right now. So we'll see. Like how can they do that? I, I do agree with the premise that yeah, they they need an, another forward or two. And if you look at it, you have. Jared McCann coming back from injury. So if, and you have Jason Zucker coming back from injury, one of those players will be playing with Malkin and Kapanen. You'll have one of those players for the extra line. So say, I think it would be good if it was Jason Zucker. And then if you could get like Eric Stahl, and then maybe you have the right wing for that line, be Evan Rodriguez, who's been okay. And that suddenly looks a lot better. But even if it's Jason Zucker and then you find someone else, like they're saying Bobby Ryan from Detroit might be on the move. He's not a center, but he could be the wing there. Or a guy like Danton Heinen, who's now in Anaheim, but has played a lot in Boston. He's a player who could be moving. Like, I think you try to, you're going to try to find, is it going to be a skill line? Is it going to be kind of like a grinder line or more defensive line? They'll have to figure that out. And it's interesting, too, because Penguins don't have a lot of cap space. They don't have the first-round pick, like I mentioned, so they don't have a lot of value to trade out. So like you said, that's a good question. What are you going to give up for Eric Stahl? I don't know. Is, is that a trade where you do Pedersen? Maybe. Maybe you have to. I, I don't know if that's the best idea for a, de a team whose defense has been so banged up. Are you really going to trade a good defenseman away as soon as the minute you get healthy? I, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but... There's got to be something out there like Nashville could be selling players and I'm sure, you know, the trade deadline is actually about a month from now on April 12th now this year. That's an important day to know since the calendar shifted and yeah, it'll be out there for the pens. It's just a matter of what they want to do, what they think they need. And Eric Stahl is certainly a name to watch at least until he gets traded to somewhere else. He, he definitely could be a name and play for the pens. All right. Question number seven, our last question of the mailbag. 
Michael Panza is here with a question. He asks, although Jerry, Tristan Jerry has seemed to turn it around, could you see the Penguins going after a more experienced goalie, someone like Devin Dubnik or Cam Talbot, maybe even bringing back Thomas Grice just for that veteran presence? I don't really at this point, especially Jerry in the last 11 games has a 922 save percentage. He's eight wins, three losses. Casey DeSmith has a 944 save percentage in his last two. Those guys have really settled down. So I don't think they need a goalie at this point. I know some of these questions are kind of older by now, but uh, goaltending goes up and down. I think the Penguins just lived with it when they had to, when it was down and now it's up. So there's no reason to address it. A guy like Thomas Grice, for instance, has a 3.6 million cap hit next year as well. And he's 35 years old. That's more cap it than Jerry has. So that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And especially some of those other contract situations wouldn't fit with the pens. So the good news is like the goalie performance is up now. So they don't really need it. Like they're getting good with what they have now. So I think they'll be more than happy to just hope Jerry retains this level of play and keeps his confidence and keeps going because they've kind of cast their lot for him. And like we mentioned, they don't have a lot to trade out anyway. So they need guys like Jerry or guys like Latang or Malkin and all them. They just need those guys to play at their levels. And we've seen that lately. So that'll be what they go with. Yeah. They're going to hit. They've hit. They've already hitched their wagon to Tristan Jari. They're going to ride or die with him as the, as the obvious number one. And obviously Casey DeSmith backing up there as the number two, uh, Jim, we got through, we got through a massive mailbag. We We got we got through everything here in relatively short order, so I consider that a success. I know I know you consider that a success, too. Well, we'll wrap up this episode of the Penzenberg Podcast. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we uh, deliver some closing remarks and get out of here? I think it sounds good to me. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. All righty. That will do it for Jim Rixner, Hooks Orpic. I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Penzenberg Podcast, and we will see you next week. 